All right. Well, we are continuing on in our study through the Gospel of John. So please open your Bibles to John chapter 6. Last week we left off with verses 16 and 17 of John chapter 6, where it says, Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. And I asked the question of, of you last week, do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like you're in a dark place and Jesus isn't there? But we'll see as we go on in our study today that he is always there. He may not be there in the way that we are expecting to see him, but he is always, always faithful and always there. He cares very deeply about our lives. But what we have to keep in mind is that he sees that which we do not see. He sees that which, because of the physical limitations of these bodies, we cannot see. And all too often, we are focused only on that which we can understand with our five senses, if you will. More often than not, our attention gets focused on things that we can see, touch, and hear. But our Lord knows the unseen, the untouchable, and the unheard of things. And a couple of weeks back, we talked about the fact that the Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.9, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But it has been revealed to us, though. But, you know, no matter, it's been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Salvation, the cross, and no matter how dark our situations in this life may seem, the Lord is there. And the Lord wants us to be spiritually minded and not carnally minded people. We have been bought with a price. And to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Romans 8, 6 tells us that. And the more we focus on our own resources, the less we are focused on the Lord Jesus. And the more we allow our minds to be on the things of this world, the darker our perspective will be. You see, God has for us things that we can only comprehend by walking by faith. Last week, we studied the miraculous. Jesus fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. His disciples looked to their own resources and concluded that a solution was impossible. But right in front of them was God in the flesh. And just to reiterate what we talked about last week, we cannot put God in a, in a box and fashion Him to our liking. This is what many religions have done. And if we're not careful, we can fashion God into our own religion and not know Him as the loving God and almighty and all-powerful God that He is. He desires to be intimate with us through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and by the leading of His Holy Spirit within us. As believers in Jesus, we are to, as it says in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, we are to acknowledge Him and He will direct our paths. You see, that's what faith is. Trusting in the Lord with all of our heart 
and not leaning on our own understanding. And the disciples of Jesus had gotten into the boat and started heading toward Capernaum, but Jesus had a plan for them. They couldn't see the plan, but he had it all figured out, just like they saw no possible way that he could feed 5,000 people, 5,000 men, plus women and children. They also had no clue of the plan that Jesus had for them right now when they're out in this boat. And when we are trusting in the Lord, we can rest in the fact that he has it all worked out for us. We can with full assurance know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. God has a purpose for each one of our lives, but he is looking at our lives through a completely different realm than we often see. He has a much greater perspective. It's not a a perspective that we cannot see. It's just a perspective that we must see through the eyes of faith. The disciples of Jesus had just witnessed a miracle. And Jesus was caring for and protecting his disciples from danger. And they were completely unaware of this. You remember we talked about last week how the crowd who had just had their bellies filled were now ready to come and take Jesus by force and make him king. And in verse 15, it tells us that when Jesus perceived this, that he departed into the mountain by himself alone. Well, we've been studying through the Gospel of John. And, um, and therefore, we're seeing John's account of these events. But if you would just keep this page marked, in your Bibles, and turn to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to come back here, of course, to John chapter 6. But always understand that as you study your Bibles, that there is a complete harmony in the full, uh, excuse me, four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Study them like that. Like we're going to do right here, you'll see. The Gospel of John has an account of this story, and we're studying that. But I want us to look at Matthew's account of this same story. So Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to look at verses 22 and 23. It says here that immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, He was alone there. So here's a piece of the story that we did not see in the Gospel of John. Before Jesus departed into the mountain alone, he first made sure that the disciples got safely into the boat and the multitudes were sent away. You see, this crowd was out to take Jesus by force and make him king. And Jesus had to protect his disciples from this situation. Some of the disciples might have wanted to jump on to this opportunity. They might have thought it was a a good idea to oversee a kingdom. Judas might have thought, hey, I could be treasurer over the whole kingdom. Peter might have been able to become a prime minister or something. But Jesus knew what was best, and he made sure that he led his disciples safely away from that situation. And you know, oftentimes we don't realize it. But Jesus will lead us out of what seems to be maybe a good place. But in reality, he knows that it's not the best place for us to be. 
you know, brings to mind Proverbs 16, 25, which says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And you know, when we are led by our carnal minds, it'll lead us down the wrong paths. But when we walk by faith in Jesus and are led by his spirit, we will be led in the paths of righteousness and will have peace in the midst of the storm. And the disciples were now in the middle of the sea and it was dark and it appeared that Jesus was not with them, but Jesus knew exactly what he was doing in the lives of his disciples. He had to quickly get them out to sea in order to save them from falling into the trap of wealth and fame. And flipping back now to John chapter 6, we see in verse 18 it says, Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. Wow. I want you to just for a moment imagine yourself being in the sandals of the disciples. You just had an opportunity to have a kingdom placed under your control, and instead the Lord sends you out to face a storm. You think that having the kingdom under your control is not a bad thing, but the Lord sees that which you do not see, and He sends you away from that situation. But now you're facing a storm. Life is bringing a battle to you. It seems that you should have just stayed on the shoreline and followed the ways of the world rather than be obedient to the Lord and head out to sea. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that following the direction of the Word of God or walking by faith has led you into more heartaches? You know, it can seem that way at times. But He sees what we do not see And that's why walking by faith is a fight. I'm here to tell you that I've been walking by faith for 24 years. And I've had my ups and downs and all kinds of stuff happen in my life. But, you know, the Lord has through it all given me the ability to press on, to fight the fight of faith. It's all by His grace. It's all because of His mercy. But when we trust in Him and we fully rely on Him, we, we, you know, you come to a place sometimes, at least I have, where like Peter tells Jesus, um, you know, where else can I go, Lord? You have the words of life. You have the words of eternal life. Where else can I go? There's no place else to turn. And you know, Jesus never said it would be easy. He just promised he'd always be with us. And for these disciples, the sea was powerful and it was completely out of their control. If they would have just stayed on the shoreline, they could have organized their new kingdom and been in complete control. But now they are at the mercy of the sea. But are they really? No. They are actually under the wing of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But He is putting them through another time of testing that their faith can be strengthened all the more. In verse 19, So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. So what would be going through your mind when you are in the midst of a storm and you're rowing for one mile, then two miles, then three miles, and you're thinking, where is the Lord in all of this? 
Why did he send me out here? Why did this have to happen? Lord, are you with me in this? I can't make it through this storm without you. It's hard enough to get across this sea of life when it's calm, but now the wind is blowing and I'm being tossed to and fro. I've lost my job. My family have, has been attacked. I have emotional pain. I feel lost. I've got this illness. Why have you left me out here all alone? And you can fill in the blanks on your life situations. But then, all of a sudden, when you think there's no possible way that Jesus can show up, he shows up. And he shows up in a way that to man would be impossible. We can't walk on water, but he shows up by walking on water. If the disciples could have walked on water, then the storm would have not been a problem. But you know something else I've learned in these verses here is they kept rowing. They didn't quit rowing. And I've been in situations in my life where I've been attacked or something has happened in our lives and I just gave up rowing instead of keep, instead of, you know, just keep on keeping on, keep on rowing. And the Lord has taught me some things in that. So we're all kind of going through this life step by step with Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, the, the, the great shepherd leading us. And we're all learning things. And as we look to the word of God, we see that even the disciples were learning things. And they, they couldn't get out of that boat and just start walking. They needed to rely on Jesus. And that is exactly where he wants you and me to be. Realizing that we can't, but knowing that he can. Trusting in the fact that his plan for our lives is the best plan. No matter what our carnal minds may think or our emotions may tell us. But these disciples had never seen a man walk on water before and they were afraid. And verse 20 goes on to say, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. You see, when the storms of this life are overwhelming to you, and you place your faith and trust in Jesus, the fear goes away and faith takes its place. Somehow we end up with peace in the midst of the storm. And you know, no matter how unpleasant a storm may be, they often have a very good outcome for our lives because they bring us to a place where we realize our dependency upon God. We row and we row and we row when we see Jesus, we give it all up and willfully bring him into the boat of our lives and we allow him to take control. And verse 21 says, then they willingly received him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So he sent them out to sea and allowed them to be tested, but he showed himself faithful. Did he know the storm was coming? Of course he did. But it was for their safety that they got away from the temptation to rule a kingdom. That would have destroyed them. They would have lost their souls to the world. Jesus knew what was best for them and he knows what is best for us. You may lose a job and it may cause a storm, but he's still in control. You may have lost a loved one and that kind of storm seems all too unbearable. 
but he is still in control. You may face an illness, and that storm may make you tired and weak, but he is still in control. Whatever the circumstance, you can fill in the blank, like I said, with your own situations, but know that Jesus is still in control. He makes beauty out of ashes. He takes that which the enemy means for evil, and he opens it up and makes something good out of it for you when we're trusting in him. When we keep our eyes on him, you don't want to keep your eyes on man. You don't want to keep your eyes on political situations going on around you. You just want to fix your eyes on Jesus. You know, you don't want to, you know, it's so easy to get unfocused, if that's a word, on, on, you know, on everything else. Your eyes are fixed and they're not fixed on Jesus. And man, you just seem like, ah, the storm's whipping me all around. I'm now being tossed to and fro. And we need to just let Jesus in. Let him in. He's there. And when you allow Jesus into the boat of your life, you can know that your destination is secure, like it was for the disciples here. And then verse 22, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, it says here that these people were seeking Jesus. But, were their motives right in seeking him? Did they want to know all about eternal life and how they could become followers of Jesus? Did they want to deny themselves and take up the cross and follow after him? Or did they just want to seek him for their personal satisfaction? And you know, we can ask ourselves that same question today. Are we seeking Jesus to be the God of our wealth, the God of our health, the God of our political causes? Are we trying to put him in little boxes that suit our fancy? We must come to grips with how big our God really is. He's bigger than that. He's bigger than all these little boxes we try and put him in. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah is in the Old Testament around the middle of your Bible, right between um, Song of Solomon and Jeremiah. Isaiah chapter 40. I want us to look at just how big our God really is. We'd be foolish to think we can comprehend Him. And these verses that we are about to read are written as questions to us as human beings on the earth. But in these questions, we can see how big our God really is. Look down at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in measure? Weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Think about that. God knows the amount of dust that is on the earth. 
He knows the total weight of all the hills and the mountains. It's amazing. Look at verse 13. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? Now, the following scriptures are going to go and describe how mankind tries to fashion God into something that they like. Look at verse 19. The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. And the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. So basically, it says here that the rich make their God out of gold and silver, and the poor make their God out of wood. Verse 21, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely say that they shall be planted. Scarcely shall they be sown. Scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth, when he will also blow on them, and they will wither. And the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal? Says the Holy One. Wow. You see, we can't fashion God to our liking. We can't make him Republican or Democrat. We can't describe him as wealthy or poor. God is far greater than we can fathom, and we must be careful not to box him up like that. Psalm 147 verses 4 and 5 says that he counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 verse 30 that the very hairs of our head are all numbered. But the amazing thing is that this awesome, unfathomable, indescribable, and mighty God became flesh and dwelt among us. But when he became flesh, he did not come to this earth to establish a kingdom. But Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us that we could be a people that are not of this world, but a people that are led by the power of God to be his witnesses here on this earth. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. You see, we are a people of faith. 
And we should not be looking for our personal satisfaction out of the establishments of this worldly system. We're to be people of faith. It's not about this place. It's about where we're going. And all we are to do here is to walk by faith and let people know of the love of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 11, starting down in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. You know, as I read that, question pops to mind. When's the last time that you stepped out in faith like that? When's the last time that you stepped out not knowing where you were going? Meaning that you did something for the Lord. You stepped out to tell someone of God's love, not knowing how it was going to turn out. Verse 9, By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac, Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars in the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, when assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had came out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now, they desire a better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see, we also discussed last week that Jesus has gone and prepared a place for us in heaven. So as people of faith, we need to be heavenly minded, not earthly minded. Quit trying to make Jesus our political king. Quit trying to put him in a little box that, that everyone will like him because not everybody likes your little box. But they will love Jesus when they come to the knowledge of who he really is. Sure, in this world, people hate Christianity, true Christianity, because it goes contrary to what they want. They, it, it flies in the face of their sin. But I firmly believe, like I've said before, that if people will see the love that Jesus has for them shining through you and I, they will desire to come and know him. You know, there's an old saying amongst Christians that says he's so heavenly minded that he is no earthly good. Well, I hope that's said of me. I want my mind fixed on heaven and my life here on this earth to be led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't come to make this place his home. He came to redeem us, and someday, soon 
and very soon we will be home with him. One way or or another, we're leaving this place, we're leaving this body, and we're going on to be with Jesus Christ. And we cannot be like the multitudes that were seeking Jesus for the wrong reasons. Turning back to John chapter 6. The multitudes of people that were seeking Jesus, they find him here in verse 25. John 6, 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. So Jesus is trying to teach them of spiritual things. He's telling them not to strive for things that are temporal, but rather to work toward the things that are everlasting. And the things that are everlasting only come from Jesus. You won't find them here on this earth. You may not even find them here on this, uh, in this teaching that we're doing right now. We're talking about the things of God, and we're, we're going to see that in everything that we're studying, that the Word of God speaks to our hearts as individuals. Yeah, it's awesome that we come together in fellowship around the Word of God. And I encourage you to do it all the more as you see the day approaching. Find a church that is, that is fixed on the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, and go there and fellowship around the Word of God. But realize this, though, that God has a plan for you as an individual. And He wants your mind to be fixed not on things of this world, You see, your fellowship, your church should not just be a Sunday thing or a midweek thing. Your life in Christ is every day. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. And you know, as you listen to this teaching, this shouldn't be your only spiritual feeding of the week. If it is, you're going to dry up quickly. Suppose you only ate one physical meal a week. What would happen to you? So I encourage you to spend time with the Lord this week. Develop a personal prayer life. Fellowship with like-minded believers. Get together for times of corporate prayer. And maybe you'll need to turn off your television and get your attention off the state of our economy and off of the actions of our government. God said that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know who the people of God are today? It's you and me as followers of Jesus Christ. And we can't get caught up in earthly things. Check yourself and see if that's what you've been doing. We must be focused on spiritual things. That's where the Lord wants our minds. Things of God, not on the things of this world. And Jesus was explaining to these people that the things of this world, like food and such, are not everlasting. But we'll see here that they just weren't getting it. Look at verse 28. Then they said to him, 
What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. There it is. That's the work of God in your life, that you would believe in Jesus, that you look to him in the, to calm every storm. It's really that simple. Trust him with every aspect of your life, whether things are going well and you have no storms or whether you have many storms. Trust in the Lord. Believe in him. But these people that were seeking Jesus were looking for a God of their personal satisfaction. And they go on to say to Jesus in verse 30, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? And you know, we're going to stop here for today. But do you see how these people were seeking Jesus for the wrong reasons? I'd like to challenge you, though, to question your own heart. Are you seeking Jesus for your personal satisfaction? Or are you willing to take up the cross and follow after him with all your heart? In other words, are you willing to leave everything about this world behind? All of your philosophies, all of your political views, everything. And believe in Jesus and absolutely surrender your life to him. Jesus said, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's in Luke 14, 33. Jesus said, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. It's a powerful verse. And have you come to that place? Have you come to that place where, like Paul said um, in Philippians chapter 3, Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, that of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Are you there? Can you truly say that from your heart? This is where the Lord wants our hearts to be. So let's seek God, but let's seek Him for the right reasons. God bless, guys. Thanks again for listening.